Amen. Let me ask you a question. What would make our world better? One, two things. Fix inflation. Make it cheaper. Fix the education system. Possibly. Fix Twitter. Elon. Fix politics. Impossible, but maybe. Miracle. For the Ducks to get a national championship. Right? For it to stop raining, for crying out loud. Whoever prayed for rain, thank you. Now stop it. Right? I got to get my garden in, man. There's going to be a few food shortage and I can't get my tomatoes in, right? Seriously though, end the war in Ukraine. That'd be good. Like here's one of my favorite verses from the prophet Isaiah. And it says this. It shall come to pass, not it might, not we hope, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills in all the nations. Every nation. There's a nation you don't like or think is terrible. Listen. All the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Happy day that will be. Like, that'd be great, Right? What's going to make our world better? That. Stop the abuse of children. Stop the rape of women. Stop murder. Stop adultery. I was thinking about this this week because I had some conversations. And how much pain have just I witnessed in that little office over that one sin of adultery? How many tears have I watched shed because of that sin? Oh, yeah, that would make the world better. How about you personally? What would make your world better? Move to a new house, a new city, a new state. Have your neighbor move to a new house, new city, new state. Maybe that would do it, <laughs> right? Maybe it stops something that you wish you could or start some new habit you think you should. What would make the world better? Jesus is essentially asked that question in a roundabout way, but he's asked that question. It's Mark chapter 12, we're continuing our study through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And here's where we're at if you're new. Jesus has come in and he's been coronated as king. He's presented himself, I'm the king. Immediately there are questions then. It's his confirmation hearing. And so there's wave after wave of people questioning him about his politics, about taxes, 
about his theology, about people, about the resurrection, right? And if you're here, last time I was here, there was a very, uh, it was an abrupt and Jesus was very, very firm with a group called the Sadducees. And he was like, you don't know God's word. You don't know God's power and you are wrong. It was like, ouch. So that's how we left off. Here comes the final question from a scribe, a Bible scholar. So he comes, he asks this. It's Mark 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered well, he's like, wow, this guy's got good answers. Asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? What's the top? Jesus answered, the most important is. Now he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him and to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Much better interaction. Not you're wrong and you don't know God, you don't know the power of God. It's, hey, bro, you are close to the kingdom. And he asked kind of what, don't we all ask these questions? Like, what's the greatest? Who's the greatest movie actor? Who's the great, what's the greatest movie, right? We always ask, who's the greatest football player? Tom Brady, come on. I mean, I'm not a, I just, he is, period. Who's the greatest basketball player? Michael Jordan, come on, right? There might be some debate there, but not in my head. It's Michael Jordan, period. All right, so we all ask this. That's what he's doing. He's coming, he's like, what's the greatest? Because he knows the Bible. He's a scribe. These are the Bible studs. He would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. He knows the Bible. And there are lots of commands. It begins with, hey, be fruitful and multiply. Get married, have a lot of babies, and it just goes from there. And somebody took time and counted up all the commands, and there are 613 commands in the Bible. So this guy's like, which one are the greatest? And Jesus gives them two. And what's interesting is this. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.4, but he does something to it. Deuteronomy 6.4 has three things. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. Three. How many does Jesus mention? Four. He adds one. He adds mind. 
fascinating to me. I'm gonna geek out for just one second. Because there are, are ways that people look at the Bible where we almost try to simplify it. And one of them is that humans, you and I, were trichotomous beings. We have three parts to us, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And the reason why we say that is, hey, we're created in God's image, and God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So we're the same way. We're, we're body, soul, and spirit. We're like that. Jesus just blew this out of the water because it's not three parts. He said, you got four parts. He adds in a mind, right? And whenever we do that, whenever we try to simplify the Bible, we always lose resolution because the Bible also says you have a conscience, the Bible also says you have a flesh, not the body part of us, but we have a part of us that is actively against God's way and God's will. Where does that fit into the three? It doesn't. We're more complicated than that, right? I think if you wanna know what we are, it's real simple. You go to the very beginning. You go to our creation. That's how you find out what we actually are. And you see, God creates us and it's very slow there. Like God creates everything just names it, and then it stops and slows down, Genesis 2, 14. And it says that God reached down and he formed you and me from the dirt. Formed Adam, man, out of dirt. And then what did God do? He ruached, he breathed, he spirited, he winded into man, and man became a living nefesh in the Hebrew, a living soul. So what are we? We're dirt plus the divine. Or I like to say we're all divine dirt bags. <laughs> right? At our very core, that's what we are. We have this earthly side to us, but we have a heavenly side to us. And we're always feeling that. I think that's the simplest, best way to look at it. And there's all these parts, both of the dirt side and the divine side. She just blows that trichotomous thing out of the water here. Number two, he adds the mind. I love that. Because I think for a hundred years, the church in America has moved in an anti-intellectual way. That we say, we don't really have to worry about the mind. You know, that's all crazy stuff. We don't, we don't, it's, and it was a movement in our country. And so now seminaries are called, you're gonna go to cemetery. It's gonna kill your faith. I disagree. For me personally, going to seminary, I think saved my faith. Because if you don't know my story, like Edgewater started and I lost my mom and I lost my brother and it looked like I was doing pretty good, but it's like an earthquake will knock over buildings, but some buildings still stand, but structurally it doesn't take much to knock them over, right? They're cracked and they're fractured. They look good, but man, it doesn't take much to uh, disrupt them. That's the way I was at. I was like in this kind of fragile spot and it was seminary that just solidified a lot of things for me. And it's the best thing, best thing I've done. So I love books. I love learning. I love to read. I love all that. I resonate with God in that side. I'm so glad Jesus adds mind. Right? For me personally, I don't resonate with singing the same line in a song 50 times. That just doesn't do it for me. I know it does for other people and praise God for that, but not for me personally. So Jesus here grabs me into his group and says, you're fine, Matt. Love me with your mind. Thank you, Jesus. And then lastly, Jesus right here is authoring scripture, is he not? He takes Deuteronomy 6.4 and what does he do? 
He adds to it. And doesn't Jesus do that all the time? Yeah, read the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said of old. And he quotes the Old Testament. And he goes, but I say to you, and then he authors scripture because Jesus is the author of scripture. He's the one that can do it. It's why Mark puts it in here. He's God. He's authoring scripture. Jesus gives two commands. Love God or your heart or your mind or your strength or your soul. Love him that way and love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we do those two things? Let's first look at God. And I'll just put it this way. We are to love God supremely. How do you and I love God supremely? Because he's not around. It's not like you can buy him a gift like on Mother's Day. By the way, buy her a gift. Right? You can't do those things. It's less tangible. It's more like how in the world do you love God supremely? Well, first of all, I think we need a correction. Because if you know history, there has been a history of people thinking that they are loving God supremely and they're not. They take virgins and throw them in volcanoes because for some reason they think that will make God happy. There's all these misconceptions. And I think we still have modern misconceptions of what it means if I am, if you are to love God supremely. I'll give you an example. I have a buddy. And when we are both just engaging the faith, this was mid-1990s. So both bachelors, we had a lot of time, we were working jobs, but we were just studying the Bible together. We were talking about Jesus. Just, man, we were passionately saying, we want to be about Jesus stuff. Well, one day this buddy of mine, it was January, shows up and he jumps out of his truck. And he's like, oh man, I am so chilled. I said, why? He said, man, my truck is cold. I'm like, what's wrong? Did your heater break? He said, no, I'm just not using it right now. I said, why? He said, well, I think God doesn't want me to use my heater. I said, what? What is God like? You rebel. How dare you not live in the cold front that I sent? I'm in charge of the weather. How dare you warm yourself? Is that what God's doing? He's like, well, you know, I think that um, God's preparing me for something. What? North Dakota, man? It's ridiculous. Yet, haven't we all done that at some kind of level? Where comfort or ease, we think, oh, God must not be pleased with me if I'm comfortable, if I have things good. That to love God supremely means I gotta be in pain. I need to go to Tanzania and eat bugs. And so we fear loving God because we think if we give ourselves supremely to God, it's gonna be miserable. We all have that in us. So C.S. Lewis wrote a brilliant, brilliant essay on this. I'll read you a little section of it. Here it goes. Quote, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good, to be warm in our trucks, <laughs> and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and not a part of the Christian faith. You guys know who Kant is? Immanuel Kant, you can look him up. So to Immanuel Kant, he said this. He said, to simplify him, 
duty is king. That we need to be a people of duty. So I'll try to explain what that means. That would be like this, marriage. It would be a man who sticks with his wife even though he is miserable, even though they cannot get along, even though he despises her, but he stays in that marriage because of duty is better than the man that loves his wife and it's a joy to come home every day and he is infatuated with her. That the duty guy, more virtuous. That's Kant. Sounds good, huh? So it would be like this if you came up and you said, Matt, bro, how's your marriage? And I answered like this, well, bro, to be truthful, that woman sucks the life out of me. But January 15th, 2000, I gave my word for the rest of my long, long, long life, I'm in. What would you think of that marriage? Would newlyweds be like, give me 20 years of that, bro? That is awesome. No, it's miserable, but that's Kant, right? So there's our philosophy lesson for the day. So what Lewis is saying is, There has crept into the Christian circles. There's always a creep from culture and a creep from education. What has crept in isn't the Bible. It's Kant. So then he finishes like this. This is the part that's very famous. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Loving God supremely will never make you miserable. That is an idea that has to be corrected. No way. Here's what loving God supremely is. It's wanting what he wants. That's all it is. You are a person that says, I want what God wants. Listen to Jesus. Listen to these quotations. John chapter five, verse 30. John five thirty. <laughs> I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Luke 22, verse 42. Not my will, but thy will. John 5, 29. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Loving God supremely is real simple. It's saying, ultimately, I want what you want. Because God, what you want is going to be good. I want what you want because what you want is good and it will bring about my joy. So maybe it's a little bit like this. Men, don't you want your wives to be happy? Happy wife, happy, right? Like, yeah. So you want your wife to be happy. You want her wants met. So I'll give you an example. A bunch of years ago, like my idea of a garage is simple. It's a man space. It should have a concrete floor. It should be fire taped at best drywall. You don't paint a garage. It should smell like diesel and gasoline and there should be grease marks around, right? 
Maybe some burnout marks on the cement. That's my idea of a garage. That's not my wife's idea of a garage. So she said, honey, can I paint the garage? And I was like, oh, okay, fine. You can paint the garage. Now I'm thinking it's gonna be a nice stark white where I can like put some smear marks on it. No, I come in, it is a sunshine yellow. I'm like, ah, oh man, it's clearing, right? And then to make matters worse, I've got one corner. It's where my weightlifting equipment is kept. Isn't it obvious that I have weightlifting equipment? <laughs> so I go out there and my girls were young at this point and they got in on the action. So they took this sticker and they stuck this sticker, it's still there on my weightlifting equipment. And it is yellow and it says this in a heart, girly girl. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, right? But ultimately, more than my ideal garage, I want what my wife wants. So, okay, fine. That's what it is. It's God. More than my idealized world, I want what you want. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in Grant's past and in my life. I wanna stop evil in myself and this world and I wanna cling to the good. I wanna be holy as you're holy. I wanna be pure as you're holy, as you're pure. I want what you want. And in order to do that, that takes a lifetime of prayer. It takes a lifetime of scripture. It takes a lifetime of community so we don't end up throwing virgins into volcanoes or not using our heater in our trucks. We just get stupid and messed up. So it just takes community and prayer and seeking God and saying, God, I want what you want. Because I know this. That's where joy is found. Everywhere else is empty. Joy is found when I want what you want. It takes lifetime of pursuit. So you love God supremely by saying every morning, Jesus, I want what you want. Lead me, guide me, show me. And then secondly, he adds to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what does that mean? I love jalapenos, so they need to love jalapenos, right? I think it's complicated. So your neighbor is illegally growing marijuana. What does it mean to love them like yourself? Your neighbor does something with a property line. What does it mean to love them as yourself, right? It's complicated in a hurry because neighbors are hard. What does it mean to love them as yourself? And I think the biggest problem in America today is we don't really know what love is. And the word that Jesus uses right here, it's the Greek word agape. It's different. For us, love is emotion, right? It's feelings, it's passions, it's, oh, or it's a casual preference. I love Volkswagen buses. Not everybody else does, but I do. I love the OSU Beavers. Very few people do, but I do, right? It's that. I love trout almondy and I like Dijon mustard sauce. And I'm sure you do too. I love cilantro. Who here loves cilantro? Raise your hand. Who here hates cilantro? Raise your hand. Wow, we got a lot more lovers of cilantro. Usually it's like a 50-50 split, right? So we have all these kind of just casual ways of putting love. Like love can be commitment. I love my wife and I love my kids. It means I am committed to them. I love God, why? Well, the opposite would be loving Satan, so he's better, right? So we have all these weird ways. No one really knows what love is anymore. 
Well, here's the good news. The Bible defines for us what love is. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the actual definition of agape love, a different kind of love. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, and it's brilliantly beautiful. Listen to this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The 16 qualities of agape. And it's really some is-is and some isn'ts, right? That's really what it is. It's love is kind. Love is patient. Love is bears all things. Love rejoices in the truth. Love believes, love hopes, love endures, love doesn't quit. It's a bunch of is's. And then it's a bunch of isn'ts. Love isn't envious, boastful, arrogant, rude, doesn't insist on its own ways. It's not irritable or resentful, doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It's is's and isn'ts. Any feeling words in there? Any preference words in there? No. What are all these words? They're actions. Every one of them is an action. I act kindly or I act enviously, right? Every one of them is an action. Who defines love in those kind of terms? Nobody today. And yet the Bible says that's what it is. So I realize you can just get lost in this list. So all I wanna to try to do is this. I wanna paint two word pictures for you. One of them about the isn'ts and one of them about the is's. And this has helped me to know what love is. First, the isn'ts, a word picture. You guys know what a black hole is? Call it an event horizon. So all of us, every mass has an attraction to the other mass, right? The bigger you are and the closer you are, the more the attraction is. Well, a black hole is a absolute unbelievable amount of attraction. So think about space like a giant sheet that was hung up over a football stadium. If you threw some golf balls in there, it's gonna slightly push down the sheet. If you threw a uh, bowling ball in there, it's gonna push it down a little bit more. If you threw a Volkswagen bus in it, man, everything's gonna get sucked into that hole. That's a black hole. It actually disrupts the space fabric and everything gets sucked into it including light. Light can't escape from it. Everything that's around it just gets sucked into the black hole. That's all the isn'ts. That's what happens when somebody is all about themselves, that the world has to revolve around them, that it's all about me and getting what I want. It's a black hole. It's the isn'ts. I'm envious. Why? Because you succeeded where I want to succeed. So I get jealous of you right? You go through these lists and it's all about yourself. You, you don't rejoice when other people are doing well. You only rejoice when you do well. And the end result of a black hole is this. You're an angry kind of person 
Because anger is not a pure emotion. Anger is a derived emotion, right? Anger is triggered by circumstances or things that you don't like. And because you're a black hole, you just go, ah, I am angry. That everything needs to revolve around me. It's a bummer, right? So that's all the isn'ts. Here's what the is's are. You guys know a cell? Cell makes up every living organism, bacteria, tree, algae, you, me, cotton, whatever it is. It makes up everything. And what does a cell do for its entire existence? This right here. Tries to make more of itself. Doesn't suck into it. What does it do? It takes all of its effort, all of its life, and it tries to push out a whole new life. And it duplicates and it makes more. Where black holes uncreate. Actually, when stuff goes into a black hole, the molecules are crushed and creation is uncreated. Cells are the opposite. They're actually creating and making more. They're pushing out all that they have to make something else. It's beautiful that love gives. John 3, 16. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is what love does. It pushes out. It's action. Love is patience. What is patience? Patience is giving you my time. I'm 50. The older I get, I see the most valuable thing a person has is, guess what? Time. You never get it back. I never get that hour back, that minute back, that day back. I don't get it back. Patience is saying, I'm going to give you the one commodity I can never make more of. I can make more money, I can make more stuff, but I can never make more time. And you are so valuable to me, I'm gonna push out to you my most valuable thing, which is time. And nothing will teach you patience like kids, right? Goodness, go to bed. Love of all that's holy and pure. I wanna surf the internet and you are still awake. <laughs> right? Bravo to moms. Kindness, what is kindness? Kindness is treating you the way that I would want to be treated. Hospitality is what? I'm going to create an environment, I'm going to push out for me an environment that makes you feel like this is your home. I'm rejoicing in your truth, like on and on. That's what it is. It's brilliant, okay? And what happens in those moments is we, we start to look like what we're supposed to look out. Like, never gives up. You know what never gives up is? I'll answer the phone. Even though I know it's gonna be an hour, I'm gonna answer the phone. You know the best example of endurance that I've seen? It's a mom with a son who is a drug addict. There's no better example to me of endurance. I'll pick up the phone, I'll pray for you, I'll hope for you, I'll believe for you. Brilliant. That's love, right? It's love. And so, I've said this many, 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 many times. You want to be miserable? Make life all about you. Become a black hole. Be all the isn'ts in here. That is the easiest way to be a miserable human being. You are the biggest enemy of your joy. When you say the world has to revolve around me, things have to be all for me, man, you're miserable. The moment you say, I'm not living like that anymore. I'm going to live like a cell pushing out all that God has given to me for other people. Man, you become free. 
your wife, your husband, they're not a slave for your joy anymore. They're not there to serve you. You're there to serve them. You find joy. The soccer game is fun, right? They're five-year-olds. You don't have to be like, represent, man. Get the ball. Don't listen to your coach. Listen to me. You know that guy? You're just like, stop it, man. He's five. If he didn't pee his pants, it's a win. Go to pizza, bro. But they can't because they're a black hole and they just suck the life out of everything. And they're miserable because they're all the isn'ts in here. So think for a second. This past week, what were you? Your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday and your Friday and your Saturday. What were you? Were you a black hole demanding the world revolve around you, sucking everything into you, even though, man, it doesn't make you happy or satisfy you because you always want more? Or are you a cell saying, no, I'm not living like that. That's destructive. That uncreates. I'm going to create more. I'm going to give. I'm going to be the opposite. Which one were you? Let me read again this list because it's so good. And listen to it carefully. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Anyone say I'm batting a thousand on that? Where did Paul get this ideal from? The life of Jesus. Absolutely. And you can read this, and when I read it, personally, there's a tinge of despair in my heart, like, oh my goodness, that's impossible. So where's the hope? The hope is on the cross, Jesus crushed the gravity of the black hole. And he says to you and me today, every day, step into the light. Step out of this thing. In John 15, he has this great statement about the Father has loved me, agape'd me. I have agape'd you. Now go agape other people. That you and I can actually get into a flow, become a conduit of agape. Not that we have to produce it ourselves. We actually begin get into a conduit of it. And it flows through us. His agape through you and me. And things change for us. He invites us Matt, stop destroying things. Stop ruining it. Come, enter into this, right? So back to this scribe. This is really interesting to me. You have this scribe, Mark chapter 12. The scribe said to him, so Jesus gives his answer, love God supremely, love your neighbor as yourself. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other beside him and to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding and with all the strength. He just mentions the three of Deuteronomy six. And 
to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This guy's a scribe. He quotes six different parts of the Old Testament scripture. You poke this scribe and out comes the Bible. Like a level no one in this room is close to would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Like that is a deep level of understanding the Bible. And what does Jesus say? You are not far from the kingdom of God. Not, hey, bro, you're in. You're not far from it. Why? Because the Bible doesn't save you. Knowledge doesn't save you. Do you know someone that knows the Bible really good and is a prick? Right? You know pastors that have hurt a lot of people and they know the Bible really good? Man, tons of destruction from black hole pastors that know the Bible better than me. That's a bad witness. It's not only the Bible that saves you. What saves you? It's Nicodemus, also a Bible teacher, comes to Jesus, knows the Bible, and what does Jesus say to him? You must be born again. You'll be a black hole until you're born again. It's not enough to know the Bible. It's not enough to quote scripture like this guy does. You're close, but you're not in. See, here's the incredible, amazing thing about the gospel. You and I are beggars in need of bread, and Jesus is the one that brings it for us. It's why every Sunday we take communion. I take it three times because I need it three times. It helps me. Because I say, Jesus, apart from you, I'm a black hole. I'm gonna suck everything into myself. I'm gonna want everyone to serve me. I'm gonna want them to revolve around me and I'm gonna be miserable at the end of the day. So Jesus, protect me from me. Jesus, change me. Jesus, grab me. Jesus, fill me, empower me. That's my prayer. I pray that every single morning. Give me this day my daily bread so I'm not a black hole pastor because I know I can be. So help me. And so Jesus today, we read this list. We see the illustrations. We know who we are. We know who you are. And we realize we're not patient. We're not kind. We're not believers and hopers. Our love does end. We're more envious than we want to be. We're more irritable than we want to be. We're more arrogant than we want to be. We're more boastful than we want to be. We rejoice in wrongdoing when people suffer that we don't like. And we say, help us. Remold us today. Fill us. We're beggars looking for bread. And you supply it. So I pray for each person in here today that we'd allow the power of the cross and your resurrection to break the gravity of black holes in our own soul. And that we become the is's. Let's eat together. And we hold the cup 
For every one of us in here, there's regret and guilt and shame and remorse over our black hole behavior. And it can paralyze us. But we want to do what Paul did. Who said this one thing I do. I forget those things that lay behind. I turn off the backup camera. And I reach forward to the high mark of Christ on my life. I pray for moms who might feel guilty dads who have regrets. I pray today as we drink that we would know we have been cleansed from that unrighteousness. That the gravity of what caused us to do those things has been broken. And we can tap into the power of your spirit today to live kindly. To live believingly to live hopefully, to live patiently. And that you would fill us. Let's drink together. We pray this. In Jesus' name, he is our power. So if you came today and you need prayer, Right up here will be people after we sing this last song that would love to pray for you. If today you want to get baptized, you can just walk outside. <laughs> You're white as snow because it's snowing too, so you get both right then. Bang. Brilliant. <laughs> if you do, Roger, standing right at this door, he'd love to explain to you what it means to be baptized what salvation is. Baptism is obedience to your king. And then we'll join with you as you walk out like we are this path of sanctification. So take advantage of it. Mother's Day, what a great day to be baptized. Would you stand for this final song?